Your career in a lot of ways is a security blanket, right? It's what provides income and and stability and saying that you're moving on from that, whether you hate the career or not, is incredibly, I think, daunting. And that was definitely the scariest thing for me. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work they find more fulfilling. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share his story of relaunching his career from being an engineer at a nuclear power plant to founding his own sparkling drinks company. We're going to talk about what it takes to let go of a stable job so you can turn an idea you came up with sitting at your desk into something much more. Afterwards, I'll talk about the biggest barriers I struggled to overcome when I decided to make my own career pivots. Today, I'm speaking with Tommy Kelly, who's the co-founder of Sound, known for its unsweetened sparkling drinks that create unique flavors through a combination of certified organic teas, botanicals, and fruit extracts. A former engineer at the Indian Point Nuclear Energy Center, Tommy came up with the idea for Sound inside the plant to satisfy his own desire for a crisp, carbonated, and caffeinated beverage that wasn't filled with all the sugar and artificial ingredients in soda. So he started carbonating tea. And that idea went from hobby to business in 2015 after teaming up with his former colleague, Salim Najjar. After getting the product into Whole Foods and gaining further distribution, they made the official jump to launch Sound in 2016. Now Sound has a thriving direct-to-consumer business. Now I thought Tommy would be a great guest for the show because he made quite a radical career change to say the least. And also because of his firm belief that career changes can be incredibly daunting, but from his experience, also life-changing in a very good way. He wanted to share his story as a way of inspiring you to turn your side hobbies into something more, and I hope you enjoy hearing his story as much as I did. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 76. Tommy spoke with me from Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay, good morning, Tommy, and welcome to Career Relaunch. It is really great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Joseph. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. I would love to talk about your entire career going back to your time working in nuclear power, and then we're going to talk about your time as a founder. But could you first of all just kick us off by giving us a sense of what you have been focused on and what's been keeping you busy in your career and your life? In life, definitely family. I have two young boys, two and a half and five months. That's been a lot. And my wife, Lauren, as well. So definitely prioritizing time with them uh, on the life side. And then career-wise, I founded a beverage company about six years ago, which I'm sure we'll dive into in more detail. But that's been pretty much it. Life has been family. It's sound and then sleeping when I can. Okay. And how has your life been affected by COVID-19? And you can take that in any direction, whether it relates to your work at Sound or even just balancing work with family life and your two sons. I think for myself, it's been less of an interruption than maybe most. The reason being that I was working from home prior to COVID and you know, our whole team is very much remote. So that didn't really change. I was already set up for that. And it's been great in a sense where there is that lack of commute 
and I was able to spend time with kids and balance that life and career. Outside of that, it's really just forced us to kind of all, I think, make our circle smaller and spend more time together. So I would say that that's really been the positive of it. But from a career perspective, going into the office hasn't really changed. Well, I want to come back and talk to you a little bit more about your transitions into working in the space of entrepreneurship and more about sound. But I'd like to, first of all, just go back in time. I know you haven't always been the co-founder of an organic, unsweetened, sparkling teas company. And way back in the day, you were actually working as an engineer at a nuclear power plant. Could you tell me a little bit about that chapter of your career and then we'll move forward from there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The uh, un- unlikely transition. Um, but yeah, so I was working, uh, as you said, as an engineer at a nuclear power plant just north of New York City in Westchester County. It was one of those things where in college I was studying mechanical engineering and graduated with a degree there. I graduated in 2009, just as the kind of bottom was falling out of the the financial markets. And there were a few different opportunities career-wise that were presented. And this was one I had actually interned there previously and it was the best opportunity. So I took the job and it was definitely a unique career to get into at the time. I'd say, yeah, I'm guessing that most people listening to this, including me, have not stepped foot into a nuclear power plant. Could you, first of all, just give us a glimpse into what it's like to work in one? I actually work, there's an office building, so I was an engineer, not in the plant at all times. I was often asked to go into the plant to inspect heat exchangers, palms, valves, whatever it might be. So I was spend, I would say, 80% of my time in a cubicle. If you didn't look out the window and see a nuclear power plant right in front of you, it could have kind of been anywhere. But when you're in the plant, it feels like it's a very, it's almost just like a clean basement, if you will, right? You have boilers, piping, valves. We didn't get too deep in on the nuclear side outside of generally once a month, one one month a year during refueling outages. So it it's not the Homer Simpson situation that a lot of people think people, about. Yeah. Uh, envision, yeah, exactly. Okay, and what exactly was your role there? You mentioned you focused on mechanical engineering in your undergraduate studies. What exactly were you responsible for at Indian Point? So I had primarily two roles there. The first was on the preventative maintenance side. I was responsible for managing and optimizing a lot of the testing of equipment, right? If you get an oil change or you get your car inspected, it's the same idea. And, you know, how can we test and inspect the pumps and valves and equipment to ensure that they're not failing, right? Because it's always more expensive to replace something than just maintain it. Well, I shouldn't say always, right? But oftentimes. So that was the first, you know, on the preventative maintenance side. And then most recently, the career that I actually transitioned from, I was working as an engineer on the service water system, which essentially took water from the Hudson River. We pulled it into the plant, into the piping system to remove heat. And so that was just a lot of uh, inspecting heat exchangers, maintaining the pipes and the systems related there. Okay. So you are spending your time focused on maintenance. Sounds like you are working on things that I know very little about, like heat exchangers. How did you then go from focusing on that sort of work to starting to think about this drinks company that you eventually went on to found? Yeah. So it was one of those things where I knew I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. And I just didn't know what I did want to do. 
And so at the time, I was applying for MBA programs. I was applying for jobs in the financial market and something that I felt like had a, some relevance to engineering. And I was applying for other engineering jobs, studying for professional, you know, taking architect. It was kind of, I was placing these little bets in every direction to kind of see what felt interesting. And one of those was at the time I had started carbonating tea um, because I, just as a board engineer at a nuclear power plant, I said, you know, I was surrounded by soda drinkers and I was drinking tea and sparkling water one day. And I was like, I wish I could combine these two things as a soda alternative. It would be cold, carbonated, caffeinated like a soda, but organic, unsweetened and all of the, you know, lacking all of those chemical ingredients that are often found in most big soda brands. So that was something that was kind of just a hobby and I knew nothing about the industry, but it just really evolved over time into, hey, this could be something. Yeah, that's interesting because it sounds like this sort of started off as just you trying to create something that you couldn't find in the marketplace. How did you start to think that maybe you could be onto something, that this could go beyond something just for yourself and that maybe other people might enjoy it too? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of de- very vividly remember sitting at the dinner table with my wife, Lauren, who was a registered dietitian, still is, but you know, worked in a hospital setting at the time. And in parallel with me doing this sparkling tea, she would talk about just patients who were just so, you know, uneducated on, or there was like this predatory marketing really where they would say, oh, I don't drink soda, I just drink ginger ale, or no, I don't drink soda, I drink apple juice. And there was this kind of fire starting to build where it was like this company needs to exist. Like there should be beverage companies and really consumer companies out there that are advocating for human health and not just making money off of like really clever marketing, (laughs) you know? And so that was kind of the convergence of where it was like, okay, this makes sense. It's an idea. People seem to like it. And then I think it was in those conversations where really like the passion for it started to build. And I was never passionate about tea per se, but the other thing in terms of positively impacting lives was something very much I felt passionate about. So that was really, I think, the catalyst that took it from idea more into like, okay, how can we make this into a business? Oh, I see. And you mentioned earlier that you didn't really know anything about the market or how to even, I guess, launch a brand. I know that there are people out there who listen to this show sometimes and they think, oh, I've got an idea, except I just have no idea how to move forward with it. How did you take this idea of something you were brewing up in your kitchen and turn it into something that was a commercialized product? I mean, it took a lot of time. And so definitely worth mentioning that actually my co-founder and business partner at Sound, Salim, was also an engineer at Indian Point. And we worked within the same small eight-person group. And so between the two of us, you know, was, I started it and was creating the the recipes and brought it into him and he tried it. And I started doing that in 2012. We didn't launch a product until 2015. So it was a very long time where between the two of us, we were just digging deeper into the market. We were talking to suppliers. We were figuring out how can we produce this thing because it didn't really exist in the market anywhere. Uh, No one was doing a product, uh, an unsweetened sparkling tea. And so it, it took a very long time and we just let it kind of grow organically in the sense of 
Let's do a little bit of a market study, put it out there, see what people like or don't like. Let's get into a couple stores and see how it sells. And and it just slowly, slowly built. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one of the things you mentioned there was going to suppliers. Were you literally just looking them up and just making appointments with these people to pitch your idea to them? More or less. Yeah, yeah. That was actually something early on that definitely inspired us to really name the brand Sound. Actually, early on, our brand was called Soterra. That was what we launched as. Oh, it was. I didn't uh, know that. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was uh, intended to mean soda of the earth. So Soterra, and I mean, ninety percent of people couldn't pronounce it. But at the time, we would be getting these ingredient spec sheets from certain suppliers, and it might be a peach flavor, and you know, it wouldn't say peach anywhere on it. So that was just a wake up call to us about the industry in general, which drove us towards sound and sound ingredients, organic extracts, uh, really clean ingredients. And, but yeah, I mean, going back to the question, it was that, that was it. We were just asking around, reaching out on the internet, trying to find people who had sold. I remember buying just loose tea off the internet, thinking that's how you did it. (laughs) And (laughs) one conversation kind of leads to the next and, you know, the dominoes start falling and ultimately you get to the supplier who you should really be talking to. But it, it really is just, uh, unless you know someone in the space and who can really make those connections for you. It's a lot of just detective work, really. I want to shift gears here a little bit, continue to talk about this topic of sound, which, by the way, I love the name, by the way. I used to work in branding myself. There's a lot of names I don't like. That name, Sound, I think works really well. And so Tara might be one you don't like. <laughs> I, you know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. That's, uh, I like clever kind of uh, uh, fanciful names out there. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your transition because you said 2012 to 2015. You're spending a few years trying to figure out if this thing has legs. Are you still working in the power plant at this point in time? And if so, how are you balancing those two endeavors? I was working there until January of 2015. So it ended up being about probably two and a half years that from the time that the concept started to the time I actually moved full time into running sound with Salim. So I was working, we were, I remember one time specifically, like I was out doing a demo at my lunch break, doing a sampling at a restaurant nearby. I drove there during my lunch break and Salim called me. The plant had shut down and they needed, it was kind of all all hands on deck. So he like left a hard hat for me in the stairwell. I came in and like ran straight into the plant, but you know, we were, we were like using every spare minute uh, to try to grow this business. And so it was very much kind of the great thing about the job itself too, is it wasn't demanding in a sense where we could be out the door at three, four o'clock and spend four or five hours a day or more later that day working on the business. And how does one decide to move from working on an idea with, in this case, a colleague, Salim, to formalizing that relationship and actually becoming co-founders? I know that finding a co-founder is something that is not easy to do. A lot of people, they'll have a falling out with a co-founder. How did you guys decide that, hey, this is something we want to work on together formally long-term? Uh, it's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I, so Salim and I, I think it was, it was the perfect situation where I think it's really hard to start a business with your best friend because there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be disagreements and things like that, that are hard. And I think the closer you are to someone, maybe the, at least in the early days, the more maybe egos can play. And so Salim and I were very close at work, but 
We also had very complementary personalities, and I think we truly saw the value in each other's skill sets. And I had started, obviously, the concept, and I was protective over it in terms of letting people in. And so it took a little a little while, but Salim, if you knew him, is just an amazing guy and really just positive, positively impacts the business, me personally. And he really did complement a lot of the skills that I knew. So I mean, I think for starters, it's the single thing to look at is where, if you're a single person starting a business, really looking inward and saying like, where are my weaknesses? Where do I need help? What am I not good at? Am I good at sales? Am I bad at sales, marketing, whatever it might be? And then as if the person you trust and they're complimentary to you, and you can really appreciate each other and add value, then to me, that's the perfect scenario. And can you take me back to the moment when you decided that you were going to leave your job and work full-time on sound? Yes. <laughs> it was obviously late 2014. We had gotten the product into Whole Foods and we picked up distribution. And the timing was right where we were like, okay, we need to stay through the end of 2014 to get our bonuses and all that good stuff. And Salim actually, so at that point, We had determined, all right, the business has legs. There's something here. We need to really invest into this to give it a chance and and invest our time because there's only so far we're going to be able to take it working four or five hours a day, part time and being distracted. So we, we, we made that decision, I think, really probably the latter half of 2014. And then from the timing perspective, it was let's finish the year, let's maximize what we can make from a bonus perspective and, and all that good stuff, right? And milking as much as we could there. And then, you know, Salim actually was funny, as I mentioned, it was 2000 people on the site, there were eight of us in yeah. this tiny little group that Salim and I worked in together. So we both had to break the news to the same boss. And he actually was going to Lebanon, he's Lebanese. And so he, <laughs> we decided he would quit a couple weeks before me. So it put me in a, uh-huh. an awkward spot. But yeah, back to back two weeks in a row, we're going to the same guy quitting to start a beverage company. So that was a bit, <laughs> a bit awkward. Okay. But that was the scariest part of the whole thing, just breaking the news. Yeah, that's uh, never an easy thing to resign. But to know that you're doing it right after somebody else on your team has done it is even tougher. Just to talk a little bit now about your journey at Sound. When you look back on, let's say, the first week after you resigned from the power plant and you and Salim are sitting down thinking about this thing, what was that like? What concerned you the most? What excited you the most? I think at that point, it was very much we were in the you don't know what you don't know mode. And we were, in terms of what excited us, that was the easy thing was like, there's infinite runway, right? Like we were going to sell the business for billions of dollars in three years, right? It was, you know, like that's what was happening, right? And so that was what was exciting. The scary thing was just along the way and you figure out, okay, this is actually incredibly hard. This isn't something where it's a unique product, it's in line with trends, like people are gonna buy it. So that was the scary thing is like when people didn't buy it, right? And you're like, okay, what did I just do? But that said, we continued to iterate and there were enough people that loved it, that we knew something was there. We just, there was improvements needed to be made from a packaging perspective, formulation, whatever it might be. But I think, you know, that was really the only scary thing about it in the early days. And can you just take me through how you then got this product on the shelf? Because that's a really big 
barrier for a lot of smaller brands is getting distribution in major retailers. How did you go about doing that? I think we initially grew up, both of us, in Dutchess County in New York, so about an hour and a half north of New York City. And there was a local distributor there that sold healthy, but dairy, so eggs, they did milk, and they did a lot of refrigerated food and beverage items too. And so they worked with Whole Foods. It was one of those chicken or the egg things where you have to go back and forth. We were able to find the Whole Foods buyer and say like, hey, if this distributor will just start distributing our product, would you pick it up? And then go to the distributor and say, hey, if, if Whole Foods picks it up, will you distribute it? And just kind of inching along those conversations to a point where ultimately they said, sure, we'll give it a chance in Whole Foods and the distributor picked it up. Prior to that, we obviously were able to sell it into a friend who has a deli or, but that's not really moving the needle. So really the big kind of on shelf win for us was getting it onto Whole Foods shelves in the Northeast. And before we talk about some of the lessons you learned along the way, I've just got to ask you a little bit about the product itself. Cause I was looking at your flavors out there, which are very unique. You got things like rose tea with lime and cardamom. You've got green tea with grapefruit and mint. How did you guys decide on the flavor combinations? Going back to the early days, the products were very much framed around function. So our first three flavors were the chamomile, we had a yerba mate, and we actually had another flavor, white tea, that doesn't exist anymore. But the idea was first around kind of how you use it within your day. And one was the chamomile was the calm and the white tea was refresh. And then the yerba mate was called alive. It was highly caffeinated. And so the, the idea was different flavors that you would drink throughout your day. And so we started first with the base ingredient, chamomile, rose tea, green tea, yerba mate, and really looking at first from a caffeinated versus non-caffeinated perspective, and then also looking at trends. Okay, rose tea is very on trend. It's unique. It's something that you don't really see on the market. And then we have an advisor actually that we brought in probably about a year into the business uh, who still works with us now. And we bring him general ideas and he is the one who is a little bit more in the weeds on flavors and understanding, okay, well, cardamom and lime would pair really well with rose tea, kind of have a Middle Eastern concept here. So we would try a ton of different flavor variations, but generally speaking, we start with one base ingredient, a complementary botanical ingredient. So that's like the lavender cardamom, and then there's a fruit extract too. So the fruit component is what we felt like pulled it a little bit more mainstream. Someone would be able to see vanilla or they would see lime, they would see grapefruit. So we wanted it to feel approachable, but also unique enough and thoughtful enough that it wasn't just like lemon sparkling water or lime that you'd find anywhere. And I guess as I'm listening to this, Tommy, you sound very much in your element. If I hadn't known that you worked in a completely different industry before, I would just assume that you've been working in the food and beverage industry for a really long time. How much of your past experiences in the nuclear power plant end up playing a part, if at all, in your work at Sound now? I think at the nuclear power plant, I have to say very little. That said, I think just the passions and the way my mind works and Salim as well, really, that both drove us to pursue careers in engineering is very much about resourcefulness. And there's a solution to every problem and always having that mindset and, and continuing to learn where, you know, we both love to learn and improve and iterate. And so I think all of those things from a bigger engineering perspective are all incredibly relevant. But yeah, from, I mean, the nuclear power plant, I, for better or worse, I don't think we retained a whole lot. Well, the last thing I was hoping to talk with you about, Tommy, is just some of the lessons 
that you've learned along the way of your quite radical career change. And one of the things that you mentioned to me before we started recording today is that making career changes can feel incredibly daunting, but also life-changing. So I'd like to ask you about both parts of that statement one at a time. First, what did you find most daunting about making the career change? The most daunting thing for me at the time was really just your career in a lot of ways is a security blanket, right? It's, it's what provides income and, and stability. And saying that you're moving on from that, whether you hate the career or not, is incredibly, I think, daunting. And, you know, just losing that, making that major life change is daunting. And that was definitely the scariest thing for me. Moving beyond that, we had this, as I mentioned, like just kind of stage of bliss where we're okay, we're beyond, we're free, we're off the leash. And then I would say a year or so after that is when it really started to become a bit scarier on the financial side where prior career, if I needed to take a day off, I'd get a paid day off. But when you run your own business, generally the only thing moving the needle forward is you or your business partner, right? And so if you're not working, that's it, the clock stopped. So that's the scary thing there from a financial perspective is you have to be working every single day generally to be able to continue pushing that forward to make sure that you get back into that level of security and safety where you do know there's enough of a business around you to continue paying the bills. So I think that was kind of how things evolved. It was from scary to exciting and then a blend of both, you know, but mostly driven by, I think, it's just that the security that a career provides for you. And how has your life changed since moving from working in a secure job at a power plant to launching and now running your own drinks company? I mean, it's definitely been an incredibly positive change. I'd be lying if I said there weren't moments where there was, okay, what are we going to do if we don't close on this financing? We can't pay for this, pay for that, right? There's that always present and kind of looming, I think, in anyone who, who owns a business that's in the back of their mind. But beyond that, I mean, it's been an incredibly positive change where I used to wake up and dreading to go to work and you're sitting there scrolling through the internet or whatever it might be. And at this point, it's, I wake up, I'm excited. I wish I had more time to work. And that's, I think, what we all dream about in a sense, not to say to want to work every single minute of every day, but to love what you're doing that much that you would actually even consider that. So it's been incredibly positive. And my wife actually works with us as well here. So to be able to work with her and be able to have that balance with the family as well has been incredibly positive. I did want to ask about that, Tommy, because you mentioned that you got a couple very young boys there. I think one is what, six months old. The other one's not even three yet. How do you balance the work with fatherhood and parenthood? Because I've got one young daughter at home. She's coming up to four and I can barely balance anything going on around the house versus spending time with her and then also running my own business. What have you learned about managing that balance yourself? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, we joke, my wife and I, it's like, it feels like every minute is scheduled to an extent, but the first things to go are things that are for yourself, leisure. And, you know, I look at friends who are golfing and going on <laughs> golf trips and outings right. and this and that and watching, you know, so for me, it was like the first things to go away were golf, watching sports, whatever it might be. Right. right. And that's something that I'm very much comfortable with loving what I do building that and then spending time with my family and just, I love being a parent. So I think as long as you kind of love what you do and you love being a parent and you're willing to invest into both, 
I think it's a great, it's definitely tricky, especially over the past year or two with COVID and, and all the challenges that that brought, not really being able to leave. So there's definitely those challenges, but it just comes down to, I think, being focused and being scheduled, getting up early to get your workout in or to get your half hour of just personal time to sit and do whatever it is you might want to do, read a book in just not having any wasted time, I think is really the biggest thing. Well, I want to wrap up, Tommy, with what you're doing right now there at Sound. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what's next for you guys and what's coming up on the horizon for you at Sound? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, a lot of it now is just continuing to grow distribution. We spent a long time just iterating and evolving within the market. And a few months ago, we launched a completely revamped brand and packaging and all that, which has been huge for the brand and our sales velocity. And so now we're starting to expand geographically, growing our team. We just hired a couple more people uh, over the past month. So the team is growing, the business is growing, and we're really just focused on expanding it now that we really feel like we have the positioning and the product in the right spot. All right. Well, very exciting. If people want to learn more about you or sound, where can they go? For sound, it's drinksound.com. You can find us on Instagram, obviously, too, at drink.sound. I'm personally on Instagram, tommy.kelly. You know, you could also email me anytime. I'm tommy at drinksound.com. I think those are probably the best two spots. Thank you so much, Tommy, for telling us more about your unique journey toward founding your own company, the upside of making a bold career change, and also your life as an entrepreneur and father. So best of luck with that new distribution push and with growing the business. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much for having me on to tell the story, Joseph. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Tommy about how to find a good co-founder, find the ideal timing for your career pivot, and build your ideas patiently and persistently. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share a few of the emotional hurdles I had to overcome when I decided to relaunch my own career. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to thank Brand Yourself for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Brand Yourself offers simple tools and services to help control what people find when they Google you. To clean up, protect, and improve how you look online, visit brandyourself.com and use promo code RELAUNCH to get 50% off a premium membership. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, since Tommy talked about how your career can be a security blanket that provides income and security, and how moving on from that career can be incredibly daunting, I thought I'd share some of the things I've found most difficult about the career changes I've made. And I'm going to try and organize these difficulties around three emotions. Because while figuring out the practicalities of changing careers is certainly important, being able to navigate the emotional hurdles of changing careers is just as important because it can make the difference between action and inaction. So one of the emotions I've had to deal with personally when changing careers is just sadness. I remember when I resigned from my brand marketing job at Clorox in the Bay Area to move to London, I felt pretty emotional about it because I was not only saying farewell to a stable job, but I was saying farewell to relationships with colleagues who had in some ways started to feel more like a professional family to me a predictable routine and fairly comfortable lifestyle, and an organization where I'd been spending the majority of my waking hours. So I remember feeling pretty down. 
Another emotion I felt at the time was fear. Although I felt I was leaving for good reasons, whenever you leave one job behind to pursue another, it involves some element of risk. Before I left, I was on a fairly promising and fairly linear career up the organizational ladder, which was in some ways pretty comforting. I had no idea if my next job would match up to the experience I'd had at Clorox, which was an overwhelmingly positive one. I had no idea how quickly I'd be able to find a job after I moved to the UK or how that gap on my resume would affect my job prospects. Not knowing what was coming up next for me was very scary. One more emotion I'll mention was related to pride. And what I mean by that is just feeling a sense of pride in having a coveted job at a reputable organization with a job title that provided me with a sort of immediate professional stamp of credibility, if you will. Everyone, at least in the United States, was familiar with Clorox. And the brands I'd worked for were household names, literally, because most people had the very products I was marking in their cupboards at home. So I found it very difficult to go from being gainfully employed to being completely unemployed. Now, there's not necessarily anything wrong with not having a job. But to be honest, I felt kind of embarrassed about not having a nicely packaged response when someone asked me, so what do you do? This sadness, fear, and embarrassment I felt were real hurdles that I really struggled with at the time and still do struggle with whenever I move on from work I've invested time and energy into. And I found that managing these intense emotions involved with changing career directions is as important as managing the actual logistics involved. If you are struggling with these same emotions during a career transition, I've found it helpful to start by just acknowledging the fact that you're not always going to be full of positive, bubbly emotions when you're embarking on something new, which is totally normal. I've also found it helpful to not necessarily assume that the things you feel could be issues like resume gaps, periods of unemployment, or having a nonlinear career path will be an issue in the eyes of others. Sometimes I catch myself projecting my own fears I have about my own situation onto others just to later find out that they didn't actually think these things were that big of a deal. Finally, I noticed that when I talked about what I was feeling with people from more traditional linear career paths, they wouldn't exactly make me feel any better about my situation, and in fact caused me to question my choices a lot, because their judgments were, of course, understandably biased by their experiences. Now, I actually don't mind and in fact, welcome honest feedback. But during those times when you're already feeling a little bit fragile, I actually find it a lot more reassuring and productive to try and connect with similarly minded people who made similar choices to step off the beaten path themselves. So I hope hearing Tommy's story and my own experiences here can be reassuring to you if you're also feeling a bit overwhelmed by the daunting emotions of changing career paths. Taking the time to acknowledge, embrace, and overcome these emotions can often make the difference between continuing to tolerate your job and actually mustering up the courage to pursue work you truly desire. This takes me to a quote from the Canadian clinical psychologist and professor, Dr. Paul T.P. Wong. When embraced and accepted, negative emotions can be a powerful catalyst to positive change in one's life 
and can lead to a deeper feeling of meaning and authenticity. So my challenge to you is to fully acknowledge and honor one of the daunting negative emotions you may be feeling and may need to overcome as you navigate your own career transition. Maybe it's one of the ones I mentioned like sadness, fear, pride, or embarrassment. Or maybe it's something else like shame or disappointment. Whatever it is, try to give it a label so you can begin to process it. I'm not going to sit here and try to give you some magic bullet to deal with it. But I really do think that half the battle is just being able to identify it whenever it inevitably shows up during your journey. Before we wrap up today, I just wanted to share this voice message from Alexandra Spencer in the UK, who has this story of career change to share with you. Hi, my name's Alexandra Spencer um, and my career change was I went from being an English teacher at a college in the Midlands in England. I taught 16 to 18 year olds and I went from doing that to something completely different, working in marketing actually as a copywriter. Um, I was given a shot even though I had very little experience by the company I currently work for, Prezi Box. Um, they're an online retailer, online gift retailer. They've been absolutely wonderful. And even though I had next to no experience, they could tell that it was something I wanted to do so much. So I made that change. Uh, And even though I went from decent salary, um, I was quite good at what I did to something that, to be honest, when I first started out, I wasn't a great copywriter or marketer. I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was just something that I knew I wanted to do. And even though it was scary making that change, I've learned that just because you're good at something doesn't mean that it's right for you. And just because you might be starting from the bottom of the ladder again, if you make that career change, that's not enough to prevent you from doing it. You spend more time at work than you do with your family in a lot of circumstances. My job at the moment doesn't feel like work and my previous job certainly did. Even though I was good at it, it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And now I've found that. And it's just the best thing in the world. So I would always recommend people changing as much as you need. You know, life's too short to do something that you're not completely happy with. And it's changed my life. So that's it. Thank you so much. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with all of us. I'm very happy to hear your pivot from teaching into marketing has worked out so well and appreciate you sharing your perspectives with us. You are absolutely right that life is too short to do something you're not completely happy with. And that's a good reminder for us all. If you feel like sharing your own story of career change or advice for others considering a career change on the show, I'd welcome you leaving me a message at careerrelaunch.net slash 76, where you can find highlights from my chat today with Tommy and learn more about sound sparkling drinks. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 76. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Tommy Kelly for sharing his personal story with us today from Greenwich. We wish you the very best with continuing to grow sound. And the next time I'm in the US, I'm definitely gonna try your sparkling grapefruit and mint green tea. This episode was mixed by Javier Perez. Our music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi Pohl and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll talk to you next time.